Hey folks, this is Jesse Cope, back with another episode of the American Soul Podcast. Hope y'all are doing well, wherever y'all are and whatever part of the day you're in. I appreciate you joining me. As always, give me a few minutes of your day, I'll try and use it wisely. I do hope the day's going smoothly, folks, whatever it is that you're doing. Driving up and down the road, getting ready for work. Ending the day, conference period, lunch, dishes, laundry, kids, chauffeuring, whatever it is that you're doing, I hope it's going smoothly. We're going to take one of our little walks. You can hear the background noise. It is hot. We have two puppy dogs right now, but man, we're moving slow today. Uh, Sprinklers are on. Got to do a little work in the garden. Actually, a decent bit today. Got to try and get pumpkins done, winter squash. Long lead time there. And maybe a few fall watermelons. I haven't decided about that yet. We will see. At any rate, for those of y'all that continue to share the podcast also, I can't not thank y'all each time Uh, y'all continue to help the podcast grow when you share it with others Uh, word of mouth by far is how this podcast grows the most so thank you i'm incredibly grateful for that and humbled by it and i will try and deserve that i guess is the right way to say it all right so we're going to talk today about Benjamin Rush, who we talk about pretty frequently on this podcast. And we're going to go back and read a little excerpt from a collection of his essays, Literary, Moral, and Philosophical. And the particular one I'm going to pull from is from the late 1780s, maybe mid-1786. There it is. So if you don't know, we talk, as I said, we talk about him pretty frequently, but Benjamin Rush, I'm pulling this little clip out of the Founder's Bible. Highly recommend it, but you could, you can get this kind of information just almost anywhere if you type in Benjamin Rush. The signer of the Declaration of Independence was a true Renaissance man, an expert in many areas, considered the father of public schools under the Constitution. He was a noted educator, starting five colleges and universities. As a physician, he is called the father of American medicine. He was a vocal civil rights leader, helping start America's first abolition society and leading national abolition efforts. He also started the Sunday School Movement in America and the nation's first Bible society. John Adams considered Dr. Rush one of America's three most notable founding fathers, ranking him along with George Washington and Benjamin Franklin. So, a guy that knew a thing or two about the founding of the country, was very passionate about it, and what we're going to talk about today, as I told y'all, we're going to hit this, hammer this subject pretty good over the next few weeks, education. And, and we really talk about education quite frequently because it is, folks, it is one of the main area of operations, battle arenas, combat, whatever you want to talk about, however you want to phrase it, theaters of operation, 
education. If we don't get a handle on education, there's absolutely no way we're going to turn this republic around. So I'm going to read a few excerpts from his essay, collection of essays here. This is this particular one is called A Plan for Establishing Public Schools in Pennsylvania and for Conducting Education Agreeably to a Republican Form of Government Addressed to the Legislature and Citizens of Pennsylvania in the year 1786. I'm read a handful of excerpts from that, and then we will make a few comments at the end, see if I can tie it all together. Before I proceed to the subject of this essay, I shall point out in a few words the influence and advantages of learning upon mankind. One, it is friendly to religion, inasmuch as it assists in removing prejudice, superstition, and enthusiasm, in promoting just notions of the deity, and in enlarging our knowledge of his works. It is, too, it is favorable to liberty. Freedom can exist only in the society of knowledge. Without learning, men are incapable of knowing their rights. And where learning is confined to a few people, liberty can neither be equal nor universal. So, his first point is knowledge and religion and Benjamin Rush was absolutely talking about Christianity here. God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He was not talking about a general deist. He was not talking about just some general belief in God or Islam or Mother Nature or Hinduism or Buddhism or anything else, folks. He was talking about Christianity. So knowledge and religion kind of go hand in hand, which you can see. Today, public schools, we took God out of our public schools starting about 80 years ago and have continued that process, and the public schooling is unarguably falling apart today. There's no possible way for anybody that knows anything about public education today to say that it is not a system which is falling apart. Uh, if, if somebody says that, they either don't know what they're talking about, have no knowledge of public school, or they're being dishonest, 100%. So, and then the second thing, right, is he says if you don't have knowledge, if you don't have education, you can't have liberty. Or if you only reserve that education to a limited few, uh, then you cannot have freedom and liberty. So I'm hammered and have for a while public education in particular, but our education and system in general, I make no bones about that. I have no reason to apologize for that, but I want to make it clear I'm a huge proponent of public education, folks. We we have to have an educated citizenry. Have to. It's vital for a Republican form of government. But we could not, it would be hard to find us doing a worse job of it as a society. The only foundation for a useful education in a republic, is to be laid in religion. Without this, there can be no virtue, and without virtue, there can be no liberty. And liberty is the object, is the object and life of all republican government. So, a couple of huge points here, just in this one sentence, part of a sentence. Liberty 
right? That's the object of a republican form of government. So all these people that talk about America as a republic being systemically racist, oppressive, sexist, no. Have we made decisions that fall into those categories as a country at times? Absolutely. Is is that the foundational, the pillars of a republic? No. It's the opposite of it. That's when we get in trouble, folks, when we go against our founding principles and against God, which our founding principles are built on, not when we follow his commands. And then you, you cannot have a republic, which, folks, if you look around, a lot of people in America today that really understand this, uh, that don't want America to be a republic, they understand that it can't, we can't have a republic without Christianity, without people that follow the teachings of Christ, regardless of whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, whether you follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as the Son of God or not. If, if you don't follow Jesus Christ's teachings, this republic won't last. And we see that today and, and, be aware, folks, there's a lot of people that really get that. They know that. They understand that. And they're pleased with it. What I mean by that is, is the, there's a lot of people that don't want America to be a republic, and they understand the truth of this statement. Sadly, there's a lot of us that do want this republic, but we don't seem to understand this statement, or we pretend not to. It is foreign to my purpose to hint at the arguments which establish the truth of the Christian revelation. My only business is to declare that all its doctrines and precepts are calculated to promote the happiness of society and the safety and well-being of civil government. A Christian cannot fail of being a Republican. He's talking, obviously, folks, all these times I'm using Republican here, I'm not talking about Republican Party at all. Uh, and you'll see he talks about the disaster of a party system in just a second. I'm talking about a, a Republican form of government being the fact that American America is a Christian republic. The history of the creation of man and of the relation of our species to each other by birth, which is recorded in the Old Testament, is the best ref <coughs> refutation that can be given to the divine right of kings and the strongest argument that can be used in favor of the original and natural equality of all mankind. A Christian, I say again, cannot fail of being a Republican, for every precept of the gospel inculcates those degrees of humanity, self-denial, and brotherly kindness which are directly opposed to the pride of monarchy and the pageantry of a court. A Christian cannot fail of being useful to the Republic, for his religion teaches him that no man, quote, liveth to himself, unquote. And lastly, a Christian cannot fail of being wholly inoffensive, for his religion teaches him in all things to do to others what he would wish in like circumstances they should do to him. Golden rule, folks. Do unto others as you want them to do unto you. That's all goes back to that, and one step before that, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul and strength. Uh, everything goes back to that in this republic. The strength, the security, the stableness of our republic, of our institutions, of our financial systems, all goes back to those two commands from Jesus Christ. And, and again, I, I said this 
kind of earlier, and I've said it multiple times, you don't have to be a Christian. I mean, an Amer- you don't have to be a Christian in order to be an American. But if we don't have people, regardless of their personal faith, that follow the teachings and the principles of Jesus Christ, the republic's going to fall apart. And, and we see that today. It absolutely is, unarguably. He must love family, honor. But he he's talking about teaching students here, Russia. He must love family honor, but he must be taught that neither the rank nor antiquity of his ancestors can command respect without personal merit. He must avoid neutrality in all questions that divide the state, but he must shun the rage and acrimony of party spirit. you got to stop here for a second, folks. So he's saying that as we raise our children... They ought to have pride in their family, in their local community, in their state, and in their country, right? But, but you, you can't rest on your last name. You can't rest on what community or state you came from, right? You can't rest on your ancestry. You have to earn it. Uh, Abigail Adams talked about this meritocracy. John Adams' wife, the second first lady, talked about how great it was that in America, our, our, our success was not based upon who we were born as, but our own merit. Uh, wonderful quote. I'll have to come back to that again at some point. And then, and then the second thing, this, and this is a huge issue today. You go to Revelation, and I can't pull the verse right now, folks, but God talks about how he wished that people were either hot or cold, but because they're lukewarm, he's going to spit us out. We're absolutely lukewarm today, and we have been for decades, folks. We really have. We we want to be entertained. We want to focus on things that don't matter, and we want to ignore the things that do. Or if we actually pay attention, we only want to talk about them. We don't really want to change our own personal lives, how we act. You know, we want this great faith. We want this great marriage. We want this great community or school system or church or whatever it is. And then we just stop right there. We talk about it, but we don't change our actions. We don't spend the way, we don't change the way we spend time. Uh, we don't change the way our families spend time, our kids, our, how we spend time with our spouse, right? You get the idea. And, and really, we, we've, we've created, the left has managed to create this idea today that, that the best people, the brightest people, the, the most moral people are those ones that don't pick sides. You know, everybody's right from their own point of view. Uh, yeah, I totally understand how you feel, and I'm going to encourage you in that feeling. And then somebody that feels exactly the opposite, absolutely understand how you feel too, and I'm going to encourage you, which is nonsense. And and so we end up with this 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 society that doesn't stand for anything. This neutrality, and that's what Rush is talking about. You you you've got to avoid neutrality in all questions that divide the state. You've got to have an opinion, folks, and you've got to stand by that opinion. Uh, but we don't want to do that today because it's uncomfortable. We want to push that aside, right? He must be taught, going back to the students again, he must be taught to love his fellow creatures in every part of the world. But he must cherish with a more intense and peculiar affection the citizens of Pennsylvania and of the United States. I do not wish to see our youth educated with a single prejudice against any nation or country, but we impose a task upon human nature, repugnant alike to reason, revelation, 
and the ordinary dimensions of the human heart when we require him to embrace with equal affection the whole family of mankind. Good Lord. Amen. All people are not equally good and bad. All religions are not equally good and bad. All countries are not equally good and bad. This modern nonsense from the left that everybody is equally good and bad is completely ludicrous. You see it in your own lives, folks. Y'all are bright. Look around. Do you consider every single person in your sphere, right, family, your friends, your just acquaintance, are they all the same, equally good and bad? You'd say, oh, yeah, absolutely everybody. No, of course not. That's insane. And yet the left has managed to to trick us or cow us into pretending that that's true with faith and religion. All faiths are not equal, and our founders didn't believe that. The point of the First Amendment we talk about often with Fisher Ames was not to elevate all religions to Christianity. It was to keep the different denominations from fighting. Christianity is one true religion from the point of view of our of our country, right? There are better people and worse people. I dare say most people that have a brain would never put Mother Teresa and Hitler in the same category or Mao or Stalin, right? Uh, and that's the same with your state. You, you ought to have this love for or for America. You know, you, you, America is the greatest thing going. We're trying to mess it up, and we're doing a pretty good job of it. But we're messing it up because we're ignoring the foundational principles of our country, not because those foundational principles are wrong. And so we ought to imbue in our students a love of their state and their country, their family, and, and our, our founding principles and faith based on the teachings of Jesus Christ, those things have to be taught in public education. Doesn't mean that we hate other people. Doesn't mean that we hate other countries. There's a great commentary about the Treaty of Tripoli we'll go back to again at some point. You know, there's a famous line in there that the left loves to use where Adam said something along the line of point blank, America is not a Christian nation in any respect. And what he was saying is he was telling the Muslim countries, we're not a Christian nation in the sense of Europe. We're not going to hate you and fight you simply because you're a Muslim nation. That's what he was getting at, right? So, kind of got off in the weeds there, folks. Sorry, I apologize. And had one little girl come out for just a minute, but she decided it was going to be better to go back in than listen to me rant. All right, I got one more. I cannot help bearing a testimony in this place against the custom which prevails in some parts of America, but which is daily falling into disuse in Europe of crowding boys together under one roof for the purpose of education. The practice is the gloomy remains of monkish ignorance and is as unfavorable to the improvements of the mind in useful learning as monasteries are to the spirit of religion. I grant this mode of secluding boys from the intercourse of private families has a tendency to make them scholars, but our business is to make them men, citizens, and Christians. The vices of young people are generally learned from each other. The vices of adults seldom infect them. By separating them from each other, therefore, in their hours of relaxation from study, we secure their morals from a principal force of corruption while we improve their manners by subjugating them to those restraints which the difference of age and sex naturally produce in private families. Two huge things. Our business is to make them men, citizens, and Christians. 
public education, that's the job, to make men and women citizens and Christians. And then at the end, which this, we've talked about this, the left has been pushing this for a 100 years now, folks, openly. Dewey talked about it, praised socialist com- or uh, communist Russia. They're trying to take the kids away from our families, from God and the, and, and the family as much as possible. And he was saying here, Rush was saying already, he knew this was a horrible idea to put these in bo- these boys in boarding schools. They need to be with the family. It's hugely important for our kids to be with their family. But what have we done today? We have taken our kids and we take them for longer and longer and longer away from the family. The school year gets longer. The school day gets longer. We add on more and more extracurricular activities, right? And why do we do this? Do we do it because it's better for the students? No, obviously not. You can see that clearly. We do it because, well, we do it for a number of reasons, and we'll talk about some of those later. I want to read a couple things real quick, folks, and then, and then I'll leave you all alone. Uh, if we really want to fix public education, we have to have public education, folks. But there's a few things that we've got to do. One, you've got to put God back at the center of education, public education. You want to have a private education that has atheism at the center, or general deism, or Islam, then you can pay your own money and you can go do that. But in a publicly funded education system in America, which is a Christian republic, it has to be based, centered around our founding principles, which are God and the Bible, just like Washington talked about governing. And this has to be the center of the days and the classes, folks. It can't be something we talk about for 30 seconds first thing in the morning and then never touch again for the rest of the day. This has to be the central founding principle of our classes, whether you're talking about English, literature, history, science, math. Somewhere in there, we've got to incorporate God and Jesus Christ throughout the day. That's the biggest thing. If we don't do that, we're not gonna, we're not gonna fix the mess that we're in. The second, and this goes back to Benjamin Rush's last comment here that I read, vastly, not a little bit, folks, not 10 minutes, not a few days, vastly reduce the time away from family. Public school has become daycare. It's not supposed to be. It's not meant to be. It's not built. It shouldn't be built that way, but it is. We've allowed ourselves to, we want a certain style of living. And so we've become a dual-income society, not because we have to be. That's a lie for all but a very small portion. Talk about the – now, the, the single-parent epidemic, that is going through the roof. But that goes back to number one. We reject God. Divorce rate goes up. Even though they claim it's low, that's because the marriage rate is low and people are just living together. The problem is, right, we've become a society that thinks we've got to have all this money, all this income. And so we want to use public school as a daycare. And it was never meant to be that. These, these kids, these children, they need to be with mom and dad. Vastly reduced the school year and the school day. And you see that. You see the success here, folks, with these private schools or these charter schools that are starting to pop up more and more. And the homeschool. Homeschool, you see it very clearly, black and white, right? You talk about kids that are homeschooled well, they're done by 11 o'clock. And yet we're still in public school for another four and a half hours? Why? 
because it's daycare and because we're, we're catering to the lowest common denominator. But you're starting to see these charter schools. There's a, a couple that I know of locally and much, many more that I've seen where they only focus on these core, right? And this is my next point, American heritage and limited to core courses, right? This is by default, this is going to limit some things. This is a huge one for me, athletics. I love athletics. I've talked about that before. Uh, football, uh, you know, cannot get enough of high school football almost. But, folks, we're killing ourselves. We're putting all this time and effort and money into these sports, travel ball, whether you're talking about softball, baseball, basketball, volleyball, all of these different things. We're putting hours and hours and hours and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars into athletics, and we barely give a passing wave at God, country, and our heritage and our history, folks. That's a recipe for disaster, and, and we see that. So uh, these these private schools that are starting to go to just those are these charter schools, these, these core classes, you know, and the kids get out by like 12 or 12.30, and then a lot of them offer these extracurriculars, you know, if you want to pay more for it, and that's fine, but it gets the kids out again vastly reduced, and uh, and the school year. We go to school so much longer now than we did 30 years ago, 40 years ago. But we're not really getting any better. In fact, we're getting a worse product. And then the last thing I've got time for this morning, because I know I've kept off for way too long, is, and this is not as big as the first three, but it's noticeable. We've got to increase the tech trade opportunities, right? Uh, plumbing, carpentry, hair design, whatever you want to talk about are technical trade opportunities for kids. And, and how that goes down is a total and complete rejection of no kid left behind. That's been one of the worst things that happened to public education. Uh, one of, and it's, as I said, it's down lower on the list than these others, but no excuse for no child left behind. That, that needs to be wholeheartedly thrown out and give these kids opportunities to get out of public education and go into these vocational skill trades earlier on so that they're already making more money and preparing to be uh, in a better position to be married, to raise a family, to be a productive citizen. Thank you for listening to me. Um, we will come back and visit some of this stuff again and again, I promise, because we need to talk about it a little bit more. God bless y'all. God bless your families. God bless America. We'll talk to y'all again real soon. Looking forward to it.